0: Why do you love it so much?
1: I think if you own your own business, you have to be
0: prepared to take risks. Being a woman doesn't hold you back from achieving success. Yep, so if you're struggling, just stop and pause and and really reflect on why am I struggling here. I've also worked really hard and telling me it's luck, I think, just takes away some of that recognition of the hard work. One last question. Welcome to Tea with the Queen, a show where I talk with some of my favourite go-getters, inspiring and courageous women in leadership and business. I'm your host, Emma McQueen. I'm a business coach, executive coach, author and speaker. And for 20 years, I've been working with women to unlock their potential and get paid their worth while doing work they love. It's always great to hear someone is doing work they love even more so when they have been doing it for a decade or longer. Alison Jackson has been an audiologist ever since she completed her Masters of Audiological Studies from the University of Queensland in 2008. Always striving to develop herself professionally, Alison's been committed to bettering herself as a leader and nurturing high-performing teams. This has resulted in her pursuing an MBA at Melbourne University, which you'll hear about shortly. First, I ask Alison, what is an audiologist exactly? And what sparked her interest?
1: So an audiologist is someone who specialises in hearing disorders. Um, we're the people who fit hearing aids. We also can delve into the diagnostics and do paediatrics and balance assessments, uh, cochlear implants. And it's really interesting because what got me interested in audiology was a happy accident. I finished my science degree I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't feel there was a lot of job prospects for someone who had a straight science degree. You really need to go and do research. So I was looking online at the UQ website and this audiology degree popped up and it caught my attention because it said high employment rate. So I, I put my application in and I feel it's such a happy accident because I fell into an industry that I really quite love and my motivation was getting a
0: job. Oh, I love that. Very practical motivation. <laughs> That's yes. <good> <laughs> How many people suffer from hearing loss or balance disorders? It's probably more than we think, right?
1: Absolutely. And it's, I've got some stats for you. It's one in six Australians suffering with a hearing loss. Um, it's really, it's actually more common than asthma, diabetes, and heart disease together but the stat that we really focus on as audiologists is for someone to do something about their hearing loss between diagnosis and actually taking action it's an average of 7 to 10 years and wow. that's the one th- yeah that's the one thing that we really f- that's on our minds and on our hearts as audiologists because it just takes such a long time for someone to accept the help
0: why why is that
1: there's a lot of stigma around audio um, hearing aids in particular which is we're doing a better job at addressing, but I still think that stigma persists. There is certainly when people feel they get hearing aids, they feel that they're getting old. Younger people feel like they're too young to want to get hearing aids. It's a really challenging aspect of our job. And I'll give you an example. A few months ago, I saw a lady who... It was 90 and she's coming in with her walker and, you know, her her range of movement was very limited and she needed the walker. And when I said hearing aids could really benefit from you, she goes, I don't want to look old. And she was 90 and she had the walker, which she was willing to use, but she wasn't willing to use hearing aids. So it just gets back to that, that core, like how it makes them feel is a real powerful motivator. And if they feel like they're old or it's signifying a deterioration in their health and they can be quite resistant to that. A lot of people are in denial. Yeah, it's one of our biggest challenges as audiologists.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that. That's so hard because that's not just about the actual product. That's about education.
1: Yeah? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think you could be the first person as an audiologist telling them that they've got a hearing problem. Sometimes they are aware, you know, they've had family members going, I think you have a hearing problem. But sometimes you're the first person saying you've got a hearing loss. And so it's really as an audiologist, understanding what emotion that you could be, could come up for your customer to try and help them along that journey. Mm. Um, And just for some people, you can't rush
0: it. Yeah, absolutely. So what makes a good audiologist and is empathy must be pretty high on the list?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, getting back to that seven to 10 years between doing something and and getting help, you could tell someone that they've got a hearing loss and the first emotion they have is grief. And you've got to work with them through that before they even look at the solution. And there's a good audiologist is one who can recognize what emotion they're seeing their customers and match them. And every now and then, you know, you get it wrong because we're human, but my favorite situation is when I got it wrong was a lady I saw last year and I had falsely made an assumption about how she was going to feel. And I said, I know that this is not good news for you to hear that you have a hearing loss. And she's just stopped me. And she so beautifully rebuked me and said, this is actually good news because I know there's a solution. Aww. And that was, that was really refreshing because most people, but it also really demonstrated to me going, you can't go in with your assumption about how people are going to react. You've got to let them air their emotions and meet them where they're at.
0: Yeah, I love that. How does one become a qualified audiologist?
1: Actually, you need a master's degree. So when when I went through, you could have any undergraduate degree and they'll accept you based on your marks and, and your application that you wrote. But to get into audiology is becoming more competitive. So they give more preference to science and health and those sort of degrees. And so you go and do a two-year full-time master's degree, and then after that you have to spend a year being supervised. um it's your graduate year before you can become a full fully qualified audiologist.
0: Yeah, right, so it's quite a quite an effort to become an audiologist.
1: It's very big, it's a very big effort.
0: Wow, And you spent a decade with neurosensory, including two years as a territory manager for New South Wales, Victoria, and Tasmania. I mean, being an audiologist is one thing, but being a team leader is something different entirely, right? How do you learn or did you learn to become a leader?
1: I think I probably had some um, personality traits that make me want to lead, like I always would seek out those jobs. But I think where I really... Inverticos learned to be a leader was my very first real job, which was I worked in a pharmacy for eight years. I started off as a little pharmacy assistant and just kept taking more responsibility because that's my nature. And one day woke up and realized I was a retail manager. It never actually formally happened, but it just did. And I had the boss that I had was made a huge impact on me in terms of mentoring me and taking interest in my development. He did two really big things that I think helped was that he allowed me to make mistakes and I made so many mistakes. Like I was a, I was a 21 year old manager who thought I knew everything and I made so (laughs) many mistakes and he would, he would rebuke me, he would pull me up, but he would always support, always, always support. And that was so important to me, which meant that I felt that I had the freedom to make mistakes and it'd be okay. Mm. Because when you make mistakes, you learn so much more than if you, If you're so scared of making mistakes and you don't adventure out, you don't experiment. I think the other thing that just really helped is that he was such a strong leader himself. And he took an active interest in my growth and my leadership, but he Most things he did led by such example and the things that I didn't agree with, we could have a good conversation with and I could actively go, I'm going to do it differently. Looking back, I didn't realize at the time it was such a formidable and important experience for me to actually have that opportunity. I remember when he said to me one day, he goes, I don't care what you do as long as you do it better, was probably the most powerful thing he could say to me because it meant that I could change what I want. I just had to make sure that it was going to be a better system than what was in place. And that freedom and that experimentation just was everything.
0: Yeah, I love that. It's important to find a leader who will let you make mistakes and it's a safe environment to do so. And even in today's age, I think people really struggle with allowing their people to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. But that's where the greatest learning is, as you've experienced and in hindsight, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And it was just, I didn't realise how precious it was at the time, but I look back and look at how many how many lessons I learned, how many lessons about leadership. I think for the first couple of years, I was a really good and competent manager, but I probably wasn't a leader. And I actually remember the change when I sat there and went, management and leadership, good leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about allowing them to like providing an environment and a platform for them to come and do their best. And you get the best work out of it. So the first couple of years, people were doing what I, I asked them to do because they had to mm. and they were probably doing it to an okay standard. But when I really worked on that one thing and it took a long time, I found towards the end of my time there, they were doing what I asked them to do because they wanted to and their quality of work was so much better.
0: Yeah, right. It's kind of like, you know, if you force someone to do something, they do it begrudgingly. But if you give them options and they take it, then they have a better attitude about it, Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. You're committed to business and leading high performance teams, if you just spoken about. Why do you think you're passionate about team development?
1: Oh, I just, I really feel like you can achieve so much more with a cohesive team than you can independently. And don't get me wrong as a leader that I'm, I love finding solutions. And I think you and I have talked about that a bit about <laughs> yeah. that, that I want to solve the problems, but I also do realize that when a team comes together and those things just line up, you can achieve really great things. One of my proudest moments as a leader in neurosensory is when I was um, sent to Sydney and the team wasn't functioning very well. They had the company that we had just put a company down there. So we had to bring people on. So they had huge change. It was a massive um, culture shock for them. I went there and I, they were a great team team. To begin with, they just had lost direction. But what we achieved there was amazing, and we went from being the worst performing region to the best performing region in six months, and it was a really proud achievement for me.
0: And what do you attribute that to? What are some practical things that you did?
1: I made a conscious effort to, for my first month or so, I just watched. I didn't change anything. If things came up that needed addressing, I would, but I just watched what they were doing, and then. There were some processes there that were long and were challenging and were meant that things were highly accurate, but it was a, it took a lot of time. And in audiology land, you know, they're busy people. If you can help them save time, it's gold. And so when I started, I picked low hanging fruit. I started to look at what is a process I could change that would make their life a lot easier, but at the same time get the outcome they want. And we did some of that. And just by doing that and making their lives easier, then they started to trust me as a leader. So, when I could get into to tackle some of the harder stuff that they were holding on to, it was still hard, but they had more trust in me to follow me and say, let's try this than what I would have done if I just have gone down and said, let's change this up, you know?
0: Yeah, I love that. And I love, what I love is that you actually just went in and listened versus just yes. going in with the, I'm going to change everything without Actually, looking at the context and understanding what's going on, what's yeah. how important is face-to-face communication when it comes to leading teams? Do you think?
1: Oh, this is this is something that's very much on my heart. I think it's so important, and I think this is a very the COVID situation has made us dramatically change our work. Um, I actually, when I when I became the territory manager, I had to learn how to start leading remotely, and I actually found that really challenging. I feel that the biggest impact that I can have is face-to-face in the room, watching body language, reacting to the situation. And when you don't have that, I found that really challenging. Because the company I worked for didn't really have a strong um, video platform set up, I just started doing video conversations, which was not quite as good as my opinion, but still pretty good. Particularly those hard conversations you need to have – like you need to see the other person's face. They need to see yours. You need to just even – demonstrating that you are paying attention and you're giving them your full attention. Because when we just don't have that, it's easy to get distracted with other things. So, you know, I don't think I have the silver bullet. I think I struggled with it, but I think that it's vitally important to be an effective leader, to have some degree of face-to-face or video.
0: Yeah. And it's really interesting because if a year ago we were talking about face-to-face, everyone would think that that's belly-to-belly, like Mm. Physical, mm. physically together. And of course, we've all been challenged by COVID. And we've all had to adjust our communications due to that. What have you changed that's different since COVID?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Like I'm I'm someone who, because I love, you know, getting back to your previous question, I love teams. I love being a part of a team. I love being involved in a team. Um, and so when I work from home I have a bit of fomo I think everyone's at the office having a great time without me <laughs> so um, <laughs> so for me it's it's working from home hasn't been as bad as I thought it would be but I've certainly had to make sure I'm very intentional with my conversations I can no longer just turn around at the desk and go hey what do you think about this you've got to make the time to book those you know meetings in and I think that that's been one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is you can't have those incidental off the cuff ones. You still need to be able to have some degree of structure to get the same outcome. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard, isn't it? Because a lot of people I'm talking to are just really missing that water cooler conversation or the corridor conversation. Yeah. And I think we underestimated how much business gets done in those places.
1: Yes. And just how much little things, little tidbits you learn, like mm. you don't get that same thing. Like particularly cause I, I, I moved to a, a new role with a new company and just overhearing conversations that I went, oh, that I didn't know that. That's what I need to do. Like just, you know, about some of the technical things about my job and just hearing those incidental conversations mm. are great and and you don't have as many of that anymore. Yeah. Um, and so what I found that, you know, particularly with my my boss who's really great at communication but we just need to have that structured time, you know. He's very generous with his time and in the office, he's really generous with his time. Um, But now I just need to make sure that, you know, we have that structured time.
0: Yeah. So you've got a space in the calendar so that you can actually have a conversation.
1: That's right. And it's really interesting too, because in the health world at the moment with COVID, things are changing so rapidly. Mm. Like many ways with, with COVID started, we have never communicated more as a team. Because something comes up and we have to jump on and go, what do we think this means and how does it impact our partners? So it's really interesting that we have never communicated more as a team. It's just a bit different.
0: Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's um I've heard a couple of stories around either more communication or less, you know, I think it's a really interesting time especially for corporate Australia to do what type of communication they have and how that helps with culture. And then I think there's some organisations that are just really struggling with how do we communicate in this time? People are fatigued, you know, people are getting worried about mental health now. It's a tricky time.
1: Absolutely. And I think I had that experience a couple of weeks ago where I just went, I just think I have meeting fatigue and there was another meeting that popped up in my calendar and I just went, oh, I just, I don't know if I can, I can do one more this week. Um, and then went and bought two tubs of ice cream and ate them all in quick succession. So <laughs> That sounds fantastic. I hope
0: you didn't go on the Zoom meeting. <laughs>
1: Uh, Well, well, it was, it was, I think it was one of those, it was a topic that came up that didn't need to be dealt with, you know, it was quite a mild topic and I went, let's just defer it to next week because no no one was feeling it and I had bought ice cream. So it was really the the best thing I could do at the time. But I remember that feeling just going, I just don't think I can do one more meeting, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Not this week. And I think the problem is that a lot of organisations haven't changed the way they do meetings. They haven't accommodated for the mm. fact that it's all virtual and people are staring at their screens for however many hours a day. They have made them shorter and sharper. They haven't, you know, like, haven't worked out, actually, we can do this better. We can use a different platform. Does this have to be a meeting? You know, and so, you know, I'm encouraging my clients to go, actually, does it need to be a Zoom meeting? Because we've kind of gone from face-to-face, swung the pendulum all the way back, and now everyone's on Zoom. But there are other ways to do it. You don't have to just sit in front of a, a Zoom meeting, especially for those shorter and sharper meetings, you know?
1: Absolutely. And I think one of the best things I could have done in that situation was just articulate guys, hey guys, I'm not feeling it because I have a really good team that I work with. Mm. And they just went, yeah, feeling you. Let's let's move it to next week. And I so I think that's really important. To If you can, if you have the trust and the space in that situation, just go, just not with you today. Do you think we could defer it? Because I think in COVID, certainly the emotions are going up and down. Particularly as you know, new information comes out really quickly, and we have to react and we have to pivot. That there's always a sense of being gentle to yourself and putting out there what you might need. Um, yeah, and I'm glad I did because it all went, you know, absolutely, and we're kind of over it too. Yeah. So let's let's instead do something next week.
0: Yeah, it's great. And tell me about your MBA studies at Melbourne University. Mm. You're always studying. It feels like you're always studying. I'm always studying.
1: Yes, it's just because I'm a perpetual student. I really am. I always want to be better and I feel that, that university or education is an investment in yourself. And so the MBA was a big... Big decision to make, and I have one more subject left, Emma. You'll be really, really pleased to hear that. Um, And I've told everyone around me when I come to them a few months time ago and think of studying again, they just say, No, no, not now. Um, But I wanted to be a better leader, I wanted to have more tools in my kit. I also wonder about, you know, audiology in terms of in 20 years' time, it could look completely different. It could, you know, Apple could make a really cool hearing aid that is self-fitting and then the role for audiologists will will decline. And so, I also wanted to future-proof myself. So, I've learned a lot. I actually learned a lot about myself during the MBA about – some of the misconceptions that I had coming into about myself, I'm there going, I sat there and just went, I'm not going to be good at the math stuff. The quant stuff I'll be okay with, but I'm not going to be good at the math stuff. And it was the complete opposite. And I actually started to realize that I actually have a strong quant brain and I actually really enjoy working with data. And it sounds like a small thing, but it's been something that's been hugely impactful on my life. Like I start to go and really think about data led decisions the data doesn't tell you all the information particularly in health you're dealing with people who are unpredictable at times but it just when i started to do really well on those subjects it actually just made me have more confidence you and i have talked a lot about my imposter syndrome and that really helped i'll use it to my advantage because i was com- i was convinced i was going to fail every subject and i would study really hard and then do really well <laughs> so it was it was something quite helpful in one aspect can be quite unhelpful otherwise but Yeah, it just really, I learned a lot about who I was and who I was as a leader. It hasn't given me all the insights into what makes a great leader. I don't think you ever get to the stage where you go, yeah, I'm a great leader. You're just always, always growing, always learning, always developing. And what I hope is that I'm better than I am today than I was a year ago. That's my hope for myself.
0: Yeah, and um, I mean, the entire time I've known you, you have always been studying, but what yeah. what would you say to people who are thinking about doing extra study or thinking about investing in themselves, or what would you say to your younger self?
1: Um, I came in thinking that, yeah, you know, I was gonna not going to do well, that I was prepared that I was going to fail one or two subjects, and I actually have not done that at all. I would say that it you've got to give it some thoughtful consideration because there has been some... Months that it has completely taken over my life. Um, yeah. Weekends and Saturday nights and, and, you know, late nights and then going up and doing work the next day. But I do think it's the pursuit of knowledge and the pursuit of bettering yourself is an important one. I think that what I run into the risk of is studying for the sake of studying. Yeah. And not, I guess, you know, necessarily having a, the goal of how it's going to help or going to play out, but I think as long as you're really clear about what it is you're trying to achieve from this, then I, I actually would keep studying if university was free. That absolutely, it's just that it's not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. comprises a large part of <laughs> of my salary.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, the the thing that I'm hearing you say is that investing in yourself is just one of the most important things that you can do. And it sounds like you're going to be a lifelong learner, regardless of whether that's at uni or articles or podcasts or whatever it is. But it's been so insightful talking to you. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been awesome.
1: Oh, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for asking.
0: <laughs> Thanks for coming along. Thanks, Emma. That's Alison Jackson. That's it for this episode of Tea with the Queen. If you love this episode, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. And you're very welcome to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps spread the word. You can contact me directly at my website at emmcmcqueen.com.au. It's also where you'll find my book, Go Getter. Speak to you soon.